0: Go to the Word of God this morning. And uh, let's pray. Father, would you help us today discern what your Spirit's saying to the church in this hour, and that we would respond, and that we would grow in strength? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I learned a new word on Tuesday, and that word is vapid. Never heard it before in my life. One of our elders was in worship last Sunday. And in the middle of worshiping the Lord, pouring his heart out, God spoke very clearly and distinctly and said, vapid. And uh, so he brought that to our elder meeting on Tuesday morning, and uh, I have no clue, never heard that word before. And he, he said that he didn't know what it meant, couldn't remember it. when he went home and looked it up, it, it basically means this. Vafid means offering nothing that is stimulating or challenging. Something dull, shallow, uninspiring, colorless, uninteresting, flat, boring, tedious, tired, unexcited, unimaginative, uninvolved, lifeless, tame, bland, and trite. That's a hard word. That's a hard word. And, and uh, so I've been praying about that all week. There have been times, I'll admit, I'll confess, there have been times I've been mad at our worship, at the way we respond to the Lord. I've thrown tambourines before and I've yelled and I've said things. And in my spirit, I don't feel anger. I I, I don't feel that we're in a place where we need a rebuke. I feel we need to basically just to come alive. Just to come alive and and understand for most of us we've been droning along we're worker bees that just drone to do our jobs every day and that gets into us even in our worship and our experience with the lord and i think there's something happening around the world right now as i'm listening to other voices within the church world and hearing there really is a vapid church we're dull we're not moving with excitement and enthusiasm. And that doesn't mean we have to hoop and yell and holler. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we can, we can be intellectually stimulating and interested and, and beautiful. And, it, and, it, and it's not a volume level. It's a heart issue. Amen? And so right now, I believe God wants to stir his people Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts that are within you that were given unto you by the laying on of hands. There was a responsibility that Paul was telling Timothy. He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't rebuking him. He was saying, Tim, I need you to stir it up. You got it already in you. Let's stir it. Come on. Let's activate it. And so we have a problem in all reality we're bored with life. It's tedious. And so, what's real interesting, I was trying to think of different analogies of what excites us. We, we get bored at, at the labor, but we get real excited about the amusement. Do you know how much money we spend on sports and, and entertainment? Because basically our lives are pretty dull and pretty tedious, And and so the only thing that excites us is a spectator sport, watching. But the kingdom of God does not want us to watch. This is not a spectator issue. When we come to church, we're not here to watch or be entertained. We're here to participate and to offer something. And so if you would please turn to Hebrews chapter 8. want to take you there there was a church in Laodicea I'm sure you're aware of where I'm going with this and they were lukewarm vapid if you will it's interesting that the root term for vapid has to do with a drink with drinking Uh, the original latin comes out of the sense of lacking flavor Jesus uses this idea of a drink when he says, I would rather have you hot, or I'd rather have you cold. But lukewarm is vapid. It's uninteresting. It's tasteless. And so when Jesus took a sip of water from the church at Laodicea, or a sip of a drink, whatever he was drinking, I don't know what they were offering, (laughs) but he'd rather have it hot, this... How many of you have had your coffee too long and it gets just lukewarm? And it's like, uh, could you warm me up? Why do you think waitresses keep coming by to give you that cup? They want you to stay longer, so you'll buy dessert. <laughs> when I get iced tea, I typically have to ask for an extra glass of ice because, for some reason, tea melts ice. I don't know why. It's a mystery. It's exciting and wonderful. When it becomes vapid, I want more ice. Jesus said, I'm tasting what you're offering me. I'm tasting what you're doing, and it's vapid. It's lukewarm. And he said, I have to spit it out of my mouth. Now, people misunderstand that scripture all the time. They think of him kicking them out of the kingdom. That has nothing to do with it. He says, I need to discipline those whom I what? Love. This is love. He's saying, stir it up. Stir it up. And so I want to show you something. I, I want us to be something more than in the entertain me worship center. Entertain me, I'm bored. Do something. And many times we say that to him, and I'm guilty of it myself. Come on, God, do something. What if he said that to us? I'll move when you do something so there's it's a vapid sense but again i don't sense the anger of the lord i i i feel the heart of god is desiring us to love as he loves to return to a first love passion what i want to share with you is what we find in hebrews 8 5 and let's go to god's requirements for worship what does god say what are his directives for our lives Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says this In the Old Testament, they served a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that's much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. There's a lot in that verse. The Old Testament, remember they had a tabernacle and they had uh, Levites and they had animal sacrifice and they had candles and they had incense and they had high priests that wore garments. They had all these things and they were types or shadows, analogies, of what, what did he say? Heavenly things heavenly things spiritual things the heavens everything in the old testament is basically a flannel graph a sunday school lesson of the spirit realm it's a physical representation of what takes place now in a better dispensation christ's got a better tabernacle a better presence in the world better promises and better actions our worship should be better than theirs was more engaging and more spiritually dynamic. Now sometimes I think it'd be cool if we had a fire burning here and, and there was a physical representation. You could smell the incense. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Wow, because what's happened to us is we've been, we've been drawn into the physical realm so much We've been taken by TV, taken by our senses, taken by all that's going around, stimulation. And we've been so stimulated physically, we've forgotten how to be stimulated spiritually. And our, we've become vapid in that, spiritually vapid. Look at, Laodicea was on fire in the sense that they had cash, they had an amazing church, amazing outreaches, amazing uh, paraphernalia for their church activity, but God said you were naked, wretched, and poor, and blind. Spiritually, we could gather a lot of people in this room. We could have an amazing rock band with an amazing light show and people excited and have testimonies and responses, but if we're spiritually vapid, We're doing it all for ourselves, you know what I mean? So there's something here that's very interesting. There's something that God told Moses, he said, I need you to make everything according to the pattern that was shown on the the mountain, shown on Mount Sinai. How, How long was he on Mount Sinai? 40 days and 40 nights, right? Wow, that's the length of the fast we took last year, wasn't it? I'm thinking we need to move into a realm that, again of that sense of fasting and getting into the Sinai, the mountain place. And what did he do for 40 days? Think about it. Because he says this. God tells Moses, "I, you better be extremely accurate to the patterns that you received while you were with me on Mount Sinai. In fact, he says it four times repeatedly in the book of Exodus. Exodus 25 uh, verse 9 Verse 20, uh, verse 40, Exodus 26, verse 30, Exodus 27, verse 8. And he says, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I've shown you. I will show you. So he was there for 40 days, 40 nights. Now, I began to consider that. What was he doing in the cloud, the glory cloud, with God? And uh, was he writing the Ten Commandments? no. Because God did that with his finger. So he wasn't, it would have taken me 40 days with a hammer and a chisel, going, oh man, can I get another rock? Can you imagine getting on six and going, oh, not God, he did it. It would take 40 days to carve out the Ten Commandments in stone. What did he do for 40 days? Well, if the direct correlation of him being there 40 days and coming down was to get the pattern of worship For Israel, he was viewing the heavenly temple. So consider this. What Moses saw is what John saw in the book of Revelation. And what we read in Revelation. Revelation is not patterned after the tabernacle. The tabernacle is patterned after the revelation. Moses got to see the house that Jesus is building for us. Moses got to see what we will be doing for eternity. Moses got to bring down the pattern of heavenly worship back to earth. And God said, Moses, get this right. Get your worship Right, because what you do is a pattern of the eternal. What you do is a pattern of what Messiah is going to perform and accomplish. If you get this wrong, you're going to misrepresent Messiah. And God is so serious about this. Remember, when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock for water to come forth, he didn't, he struck it. He, had, he was instructed to do that once. In the beginning of his ministry, he struck that rock for water to come out when he brought Israel out, right? The second time later on, God told him to speak to the rock for the water to come out, but he went with a religious experience. He did what he did before. He was angry. And because of that action, God said, you're done. Why? God is so harsh. No, you're missing it, if that's your sense. Because I need you to illustrate what Christ is going to do. Striking the rock was his crucifixion. Speaking to the rock was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you misrepresented my word, Moses. You broke the pattern of heaven on earth. And it affected the people of God. They didn't get the right message. And This is what's happening in the church today. If we're not representing the throne room of God into the earth, we're misrepresenting the ministry of Jesus. And all around us, the church is vapid. It is uninteresting. It's dull. People are leaving the church in droves. There's a couple reasons why people are leaving the church. They're disappointed because they're not getting a transcendent revelation of God. The church, we used to have a transcendent revelation. We used to be able to say, this is right and that's wrong. Clearly, succinctly. We used to say, this is what Jesus says, this is who He is, and this is the representation of Him. Watch me, and you'll see Him. But now, It's vapid because there's so many voices and it's inarticulate and we don't know right from wrong in the pews. And People are leaving. They're fed up with the church. There's another reason why people are leaving. Because it is religious. It's dull. It's boring. It's tedious. It's the same thing over and over and they want to be entertained. And so many churches have changed the format so that we can keep people. I talked with a pastor last week who is in a church forum right now where they're studying how to draw people to church so that they can get people to come. And their one main thing and their one drive is make them comfortable. Make them comfortable. Make them comfortable. Use music they're aware of. Play secular music if you need to. Get them in. Provide them with the food they want. Cut down your time and so forth. That's vapid, it's vapid, dull and uninteresting. Oh, it's very entertaining to the flesh, but spiritually, remember the difference, spiritually, it's lukewarm. Again, we can have high levels of entertainment, high levels of activity and excitement, but if it's only unto the flesh, it is spiritually vapid. I want to be spiritually charged. I want to see heaven in what we're doing. And so Moses was very careful to measure everything out. I want you to think about this for a minute. And and let's start with one aspect of worship, the high priest. We have become priests of the new covenant. We represent what the Old Testament priest represent mediation, and worship before God. And consider how they dressed. You shall make holy garments. Now the word holy means set apart, separate from. Nobody else could wear these garments. You can't wear the garments of the priesthood of Jesus Christ if you're not born again. You can collect a lot of people in a room and call it church. But if they're not wearing the garments of the priesthood that were purchased by the blood of the Lamb, there are a bunch of people in a Christian setting, maybe saying Christian words, but not even being saved. In the spirit realm, we're to be adorned in holy garments. That's what sets our worship apart from Sunday go-to-meeting stuff. Do you know how how many people go to church And once they're out of church, do everything contrary to the word of God. But see, they're not wearing the priestly garments. Are you wearing them? He said, make holy garments for Aaron, your brother. Now, this is what I love. I can't get over this. Why is he supposed to wear this fancy outfit, man? This regalia. This hat. Says holy unto the Lord, holy, holy, this ephod, this pure white linen, bells around it, ding-ding-ding-ding-a-ding when he walks. Why? What's all the hoopla and all that? We don't need that. We just come as we are. Yeah, it's not about clothing. Again, in the spirit realm. What is it? And he says this for glory and for beauty. See, in the Old Testament, when they saw the high priest, when they saw who he was, he represented Christ in the heavenlies. He represented the intercession and the ministry of the Lord Jesus in the heavenly realms. And we can't act like him. We can't look like him. So put some bells on the guy and and make these linen clothes and thread them so beautifully with gold and purple and and your imagination. Do you know the first person that it said in the book of uh, the Bible, in fact, the first... uh, book, it it, it says the first one who was ever anointed with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was Bezalel. Did you know that? Does anybody know who Bezalel is? The artisan, the man who was to make all the furniture that Moses instructed him to make. This is how serious worship is, because it is the image of God's throne room. It can't be vapid. It can't be dull and tedious. Are you kidding me? In the presence of God? So they had to dress Aaron up to look like Jesus. In the book of Revelation, when when John turned to see Jesus, he describes his hair, his feet, his garments. He's wearing the priestly garments. That's what Moses saw him doing. Moses is taking notes on Sinai, and he's making every accurate and measurement sure, and he's giving it to Bezalel, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is translating that into fabric, into metal, into clothing, so that it could somehow look... Like what Moses saw, and what is and is now what we're clothed in. We are clothed in whom? Christ. You got bells when you walk. You're wearing an ephod. Why the stones? Do you know what the stones were? It represented the 12 tribes. There were 12 tribes plus Moses plus three of Levite's sons and eight of his grandchildren which made 24. The 24 in the earth encamped are the 24 elders. So the very camp represented the very 24 elders and the living creatures and everything else, it's all there. But now it's been activated, guess where? In us! So our worship should be glorious. And again, if you wear a tie, beautiful, you're gorgeous. You combed your hair nice, that's great. Put some deodorant on, we love you for that. (laughs) You look good, you look marvelous. You want to wear jeans? Wear jeans, that's great. Just don't wear anything that causes us to look at you. I don't want to look at you, I want to look at him. It's that simple. But it's not about this, okay? It's not that. I'm not saying, folks, we need to dress better. Folks, we need to do this better. No, I'm talking in the spirit. All of this was about a revelation of the heavenlies. And the high priest had certain things he was to do, certain things he was to accomplish for the glory and the beauty of God. It cost. It cost. We're clothed in Christ, aren't we? The intercession of our Lord. Where when we come together, We represent God's will on earth. Is there enough to keep you occupied in prayer and in worship for an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday? Do we have enough to pray about? Do we have enough to be concerned about, do you think, in your neighborhood, in your house, in our school systems? Do you think we have enough to keep us activated as priests and mediators for this nation and for our own lives? Is there enough to keep us going, or is this us? think about it engage creatively actively i love the lord when he speaks don't always be looking for words but in smells in sights in imaginations in visions in dreams because the language of the lord has to fit into the language of man and how many of you know the language of man is too feeble for his glory So he's got to find every avenue he can to speak into our lives. And he's creative and wonderful. We're the priesthood. And we can't be vapid in it. Can't be rebellious. We can't be dull. There's so much for us to be concerned with. Now, not only was there a priesthood, but there was then the sacrifice that was offered. The sacrifice was engaging the sacrifice meant that you, out of your own house, out of your herd, you're to take your money or your animal, either one, and you're to take what is yours and you're to purchase it. David said, I'll not make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. They wanted to donate the land to David, where he, the threshing floor, where he was supposed to give sacrifice. He said, no, 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 I must pay for this. There's a sacrifice involved. And when they went to approach the Lord, they literally had to take this animal and they put it before the priest and the priest would cut its throat because there was an exchange that was going to take place and the people had to represent. It wasn't done in private. It wasn't done in a back room. It was done publicly and they publicly had to declare, my sins are being paid for by this sacrifice. I stand before you in my sin and failure, and I physically put my hands on this animal, and I feel its heartbeat, and I hear its pain, and I see its blood, till I feel that beating no more, till I know my sin has been paid for. Is that dull? Is that boring? Is that uninteresting? It's rather disgusting, it seems. Rather primitive, isn't it? Yeah. Because I don't care how intellectual you are, how sophisticated you are, this world is primitive. Evil is primitive. And our condition is primitive. You live and you die. And I don't care how sophisticated your science is and your theories of why we're here. In the end, we die. And all of your theories mean nothing. Yeah, it's primitive, but it goes to the heart of every human being and it cuts through every language and dialect there is. One day, we're going to be like that unless there's blood shed for me. And that is what Moses saw in heaven. And you and I now, when we worship, when we praise God, when we live day to day, whether you're singing or walking or talking, Worship is a life. And what we must feel is the heartbeat of Christ. When John turned to see the voice in heaven that was speaking to him, in the center of the throne was a lamb. He was weeping. Who would be worthy to open the scroll? And the angel said, Weep not, the lion of the tribe of Judah. John turned to see the lion of the tribe and he saw the lamb slain on the throne. How could worship be so uninteresting, dull, and boring when we recognize the cost? The first reference to worship in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is when Abraham takes his son Isaac to sacrifice him. And the first time he uses the word worship, it's the first element, he says to his servants, Isaac and I are going to worship Yahweh. It cost Abraham everything. In fact, it says Abraham rose up early that morning. Fapid? Uninterested? Needed to set the alarm? I think not. I don't think so. Not exhilarating? His heart was beating. We need to have our eyes open to our salvation you heard the prophecy today rejoice the privilege we have being in the presence of a holy god the tabernacle worship was represented of a sacrifice in this hour it's represented by the supreme sacrifice jesus christ how could we have a vapid church how could the church forsake jesus christ And change his teachings and change our passion for something else. And for this, what we do to gather together on a day for the privilege of worshiping him. How could it be vapid? I don't want it to be ever. I've had the privilege of worshiping with people around the world in different places. I've been in China where persecuted Christians had to secretly meet As we're meeting there, uh, I've been in places where the police came in and arrested us all for our worship. They were beaten for it. It cost them. I've been in Russia, where they weren't allowed to publicly worship. I've been in South Africa, where they don't have any of this stuff, any of that stuff, none of this, the worship, because it's not about any of this religious junk Thank God we have it. Hallelujah. But if spiritually we're vapid, but we got the best threads on earth, who cares? I love him. And I'm passionate about him. And so that's what happened in the Old Testament is that kind of worship, that kind of care. We're blood bought. Are you interested? Yeah, I am. Last of all, the people. Together. The nation. God wants to be in the center of his people. I think that's genius placement. Consider this. What Moses saw on Mount Sinai is what John saw in Revelation. And in the center of the throne is the presence of God. And it says, around the throne are the covering cherubim. Above the throne are the seraphim. These creatures that are made just for the glory of God and His worship. And round Him are the 24 elders. And around them are all the multitudes of the people of God. The encampment of the people of God. And we are to reflect His glory. There was one who was created and positioned to be the headmaster of all worship before the throne. His name was Lucifer. He was a covering cherub. He was designed with all the stones that would reflect all the colors of God. Talk about a rhinestone cowboy. He was it. Why do you think people wear rhinestones at rock shows? Because when the lights hit him, what happens? Glisten, glistens, glass, glisten, glisten. That's an earthly representation of a heavenly glory. And it says that he had in, in, in uh, uh, Isaiah 24 or 28 and Ezekiel 14, it says that he was covered in all the jewels. And he was the covering cherub. And he brought in the worship. And he was to direct worship unto the Lord. But instead of directing and reflecting his glory, he decided to absorb it for himself. And God removed him, and he elected another to be the worshiper, and that's his people. We bring and direct the worship unto God from the altar of earth, and he's in the center of our camp. Hebrews says that Jesus joins his brothers in the midst of them to worship God. It can't be vapid. It can't be dull and uninteresting. Could you imagine that every time you wake up in the morning, in the center of your camp is the glory cloud of Jesus? And you hear the tinkling of the bells as the high priest walks through the camp to the front doors? And the people come out to the doors of their tents and begin to worship because that's what's going on in heaven. And that's what's going on here. We are the people of God onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before so we need to get reoriented here wouldn't you agree so I we need a change we need a change God said that he is looking for a people who will worship him how? Right. You're right. You're good. You're right. But it's not just two words, spirit and truth. There's a very, 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 very important word before spirit and truth. Do you know what it is? In. in say it with me in he's looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth we can worship by using truth we can recite apostles creed we can recite great hymns we can recite scripture but if you're not in truth we've got collections of people who call themselves christians who use the verbiage But are they in spirit, in the garments that only the priests could wear, only bought by the blood of Jesus? I need to know, are you blood-bought people? Are you worshiping in spirit and in the truth? Moses did not have the complete revelation that you have. He had animals and curtains and gold representing What you have in you, which was bought for you by the blood of the Lamb. They only had a picture. We've got the reality of understanding it, and we're going to go be in it one day. So God is looking for us to worship in spirit and in truth. And once we're in spirit, this opens to us. Once we're in the truth, it's revelation to us. And we now can see what Moses saw on Sinai. What David saw, what John beheld. So, we have got to change. We've got to change. Folks, we need to stir up what has been our flesh stimulation into a spiritual stimulation because we can no longer be vapid in our worship therefore assembly is required we got to put this together each component coming together we must put it together and so i conclude with this hebrews chapter 10 now we were in eight we're now in 10 Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up or spur on one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a profound scripture. First of all, it says this Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. There's a whole lot of shaking that's going on. It's coming, and we better hold fast. If you're vapid, your grip's not tight enough. And so I'm going to take the opportunity this morning to say goodbye to some of you. Some of you are not going to make it. I'm not talking about life and death. I'm talking about faithful in spirit and truth. You're going to fall away because it's vapid in here. And the onslaught that is coming is like nothing we as Americans have ever experienced. The ridicule, the outrage, And the treatment is going to be like never before. You are going to be shamed and you are going to be ridiculed, harassed for your faith. And if the best you have is vapid, you're not going to assemble anymore because it's going to cost us something to assemble. Why do you think This admonition is here. He says this, hold fast first of all to your confession. Timothy said this, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days they shall depart from the faith giving heed to, all right, they'll be seducing spirits. There are going to be doctrines and seductions and teachings that are going to take our children from us. They're regularly being trained in our classrooms at school how to leave our faith. College is worse Up to 80% of our youth, we lose them in the college age. They're leaving. Seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. There's all sorts of arguments. The new atheism out there is radical. There's radical Islam. How many of you are baffled by, by people who grew up in the West being seduced by Islam? It's like, what, are you crazy? But it's a real thing happening. Why? Why? They're bored. They're sick of the American culture. And there's no answer for them. They need something stimulating, so they go over to that, which is crazy. The new atheism is radical. It is uh, uh, in your face, and it is to ridicule God and Christianity, to distort it and to blaspheme it proudly and abusively. If you're not ready for it, you won't hang on. So some of you, like I said, I have to say goodbye to because you're going to go out the back door. You won't talk to me. You'll just drift away. And we can't do this. He says this, consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. It, it, It means, it's an interesting word, to spur on. It means to provoke. That's interesting. Because that's the one thing church growth movement says you should never do. Whatever you do, don't offend anybody. But this verse says, spur one another on. Does anybody know what a spur does? Yeah. Horses know what spurs do. It means to provoke. It means to prod. It means to poke. Hey, hey, where were you last week? Hey, hey. How come you're not coming back? How come you're not assembling with us? Hey, it's not because you get some kind of special brownie points or favor points from God because you went to church. No, I need you praying for me. I need you in the pew. I need someone to know that we're in this together, that I'm not alone, but we're going to fight and we're going to bring the presence of God on earth. Where were you? So don't forsake assembling together. Don't neglect this thing. We're all we have. Nobody else knows this stuff. Nobody else wears the garments. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could see with spiritual eyes walking into Wendy's someone in high priestly garbs. You're tinkling along the way. In your garb, I'll have a uh, number one with cheese. Hey! If you could see another believer, how would it make you feel? Right? How many of you know that? It's great. We get to look at cars with little fishies on them. Hey, how you doing? And then they give you a hand signal, that fish don't belong on that car. But this is the issue. We're to meet together because the day is drawing near. What day? What's he talking about? Christ's return. Moses, get it right because you represent me. John saw what Moses saw. We've got the book of all that they saw and it's in us. Now spur one another on. Know that we must be one body, one people and we have got to get rid of the vapid church. I've got to get that first slide. I like it. I pray that you begin to tap in to see the glory of God. I close with this. Stand with me. This is what Jesus said to the church, the vapid church of Laodicea. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man answers, I will what? Come in and sup with you. Now when Jesus is at the table, it's not vapid. It's rich. He usually brings the food. Again, brothers and sisters, stir it up. I don't want to be a religious people. I want to kill all religious spirits in this house. Would you agree with me? Could we kill all religious spirits? I don't want to be vapid, dull, boring, uninspired. I don't want to be uninspired, uninspired by the God of this universe. No. Will you pray with me? Can we go to Sinai? Can we go to the book of Revelation? Can we go into the heavenly place in the heavenly realms and rejoice in God? Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Jesus.